Hey, welcome. This is your host, Jeremiah Latimo, and this is Gates of Perception. The totality of the universe is it's just perception. And uh, it's how we perceive things. And uh, there are no facts, only interpretations. The, the psychical events are facts, are realities. And when you observe the stream of images within, you observe an aspect of the world, of the world within. And so, you see, the man who is going by the external world, by the influences of the external world, say, society or perceptions, sense perceptions, thinks that he, he is more valid. Don't relate yourself to any person, anything, any idea. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. So as I mentioned in my last episode at the end, if you haven't listened to it, please tune in. But I mentioned that I wanted to dedicate an entire episode to talking about the addiction and toxic nature of self-development and self-improvement. And this is what that episode is. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking about this through a couple of different lenses. One is going to be a psychological lens that's based in Carl Jung's work and Marion Wood- Woodman's work. So if you haven't heard about either one of them, please look into the work after this. But also not just dissecting and analyzing the issues, but also talking about alternate ways of relating to ourselves and relating to our world and relating to what we define as self-improvement and self-development. So as somebody that's a coach that coaches men and women and supports them in developing themselves, it's kind of a paradox. Uh, there's there's an obvious paradox to everything that I'm going to talk about in this episode. So if you can just navigate through that paradox and try to hold what you feel is a contradicting stance that I have on this throughout this episode, I think you'll really enjoy the the episode in itself. So with that said, I myself am always in the trenches. I'm a person that is doing the inner work that's in a respectful, loving, meaningful relationship that invites me to improve myself that invites me to show up like a hundred percent you know to give my best and to look at the things that i've been avoiding for maybe most of my life and look at how that's blocking love look at how that's blocking me from seeing my partner at her core in her essence so with all of that I also have noticed that this drive to improve myself is also a trap in a way. And in our culture, we are deeply encouraged to be individualistic in a way where we focus on our own personal experiences, where we focus on our own uniqueness. And this is sometimes why people talk about our culture upholds these narcissistic values or so hyper individualistic where it's all about me it's all about what i'm doing it's all about who i am and what i'm embodying or what i'm striving for and my goals and 
there's not enough room, as we can see in the collective, for those conversations of community, of unity, of liberation of all oppressed groups and things like that. And so with that, and so with that, we're all kind of subjected to this self-development culture that invites us to look at ourselves on a deeper level, to go inward for the answers, to practice gratitude every day, to meditate, to take ownership over our trauma, to take responsibility for the things that we need to look at, right? The things that we need to heal. And so with that, I find it very hard for myself and a lot of the people that I work with to actually practice acceptance. And the reason I say that is because we don't notice, but it's very, very subtle, is that it feels easier. It feels more comfortable to actually strive to be better, to actually strive to improve, to actually strive to be more aligned, more authentic than to accept just where we are and who we are right now in this moment and at this point in our journeys. It's subtle, but it's there. Even when you think of which one is easier for you to do, is it easier for you to start making your day, curating your day around how productive you're going to be, how many meetings you're going to have, how many clients you're going to close, how many events you're going to attend? versus resting how many of your favorite shows are you going to catch up on how much time of your day are you going to be spent not directing it towards something to gain something to accomplish or something to attain how much of your time is going to be spent in silence and just simply being with your body if that right there the second half of what i said the rest piece is more difficult for you to do than the productivity piece then you're embodying what I'm talking about right now, that it's actually more comfortable for you to strive to be better than accept where you are right now. Just relaxed and rest into the moment, into the part of your journey that you're at right now. Not trying to change it, not trying to transform it, not trying to alchemize it, but just being with what is happening right now. And that's the trap. But we don't recognize that everything is slowly and gradually and surely becoming something for us to continuously control. Our emotions, our bodies, when we start to get into these somatic practices, when we start to get into these embodiment practices, I'm like, whoa. I feel anger, I feel rage, I feel any dysregulating emotion, I can actually change that into something else, into something more pleasing, into something more acceptable, into something more regulated, right? And so what we're doing is we're learning how to control our bodies and our emotions, which is what people will actually phrase it as. You have teachers, you have people that actually teach how to control your emotions. And the problem there and the trap there is that 
the goal, if there was one, is not to learn how to control your body, is how to have a relationship with it, how to form a relationship with your fears, how to form a relationship with your inadequacies, how to form a relationship with the parts of yourself that don't feel accepted, that don't feel whole, that don't feel worthy. That is what the work is allowing you to do. Because when you have a relationship, you have communication. And the issue that we have right now with our bodies and our feelings and our emotions is there's no communication. The moment my dysregulation wants to show its face and act dysregulated in front of my partner or yell at a person while I'm waiting in line for my coffee, whatever it is, there's no communication. I don't have a choice in the moment. I don't have a moment to say, wait, this emotion is arising. Can I do something about it? Do I agree with it? Do I want it to show up right now? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Is this appropriate? There's no, I don't have a communication with that emotion to inform it that it does have permission to make an appearance, to express itself. I don't have that because I don't have a relationship. And so we need to recognize that what relationship are we in with our emotions and our bodies? Is it a toxic one? Is it one where we don't get a say in the matter? Is it one that's healthy? Is it one that's accepting? Is it one that's loving? And so that is really the goal. We want to be able to shift the relationship we have with ourselves, our bodies, our emotions, our mind to one that's respectful, one that honors the needs of all parties, one that thinks for the greater whole. That is the relationship we want. But that relationship can't happen if we're approaching this work from, let me try to control my body so that I can be able to show up in a way that's different from what my body naturally wants to do right now. And the other piece there is that we're doing this work sometimes so we can attract a different partner. We can stop feeling what we're feeling or so we can get a better job or manifest more money or feel better in our bodies, not feel more of what we're feeling or to accept more of what we're feeling or to accept ourselves exactly where we're at, but to a strive for something other than what's already here, which is a recipe for a disaster, especially if we're not accepting where we're at and we're trying to morph and transform and alchemize and, and force ourselves out of where we're at right now so that we can end up in a better loving relationship. What we're going to do is just walk into a relationship that is just showing us and revealing to us exactly what we're trying to avoid. So this is really problematic if we don't have a control on it and if we don't realize it's happening. And the reason I say this is because this is the foundation in which we are creating our intimate relationships. And that's a problem because if we have that relationship with ourselves, the moment we're going through a rough period with our partner, the moment our partner's stuff starts coming up, we just see it as in another thing to control. 
Like, how can I get this person out of this state? How can I stop them from being somebody that I'm having a hard time accepting? How can I stop them from being somebody that's triggering me so fucking much? And so that becomes, okay, how can I change this person? How can I get them to do what I want so that I can be happy in this relationship so that I cannot regret this decision? And so when we're doing that, it's a reflection of what we're doing to ourselves. So if we want to have a relationship with the person that we're with, we also want to have a relationship with the parts of who they are that are not pleasing, that are afraid of us, that are still distrusting of us, that still might feel unsafe, that still haven't learned how to love without manipulation, that still haven't learned how to allow themselves to receive love, the love that they desire. So we can't actually form a relationship with those parts because we feel like they need to go. We need to get rid of them. We need to find a way to get these parts of them in another frequency or to transform them or alchemize them in some kind of way. And that's an agenda, right? So those parts of that person are always going to pick up that agenda. And so when we're coming to love with an agenda, love is going to have a hard time flowering and blossoming in that arena. So when we're striving in our own ways, everyone is doing it. We're all striving for this idealized version of ourselves and therefore in our relationships we're trying to help the person quote unquote become their best selves but it's really our idealized version of them and so in the relationship we're trying to get them there and once they're there we can finally accept them we can finally give them our unconditional love we can finally be ourselves with them we can just let down our walls right that is really difficult to engage with. Like when you think of somebody doing that to you, that's really hard for you to receive as love. It doesn't feel like love, right? Because the issue is that part of creating and nourishing love is accepting each other's humanity, is seeing each other's imperfections and welcoming and embracing those things. And that's the, the struggle in our relationships is because we're very hyper-individual and we are also all trapped and enmeshed into this self-improvement culture, which perpetuates our addiction for perfection. And Marion Woodman says that perfection does not recognize humanity. And that's just a fact. When you think about perfection, and you think about being human, these are two contradicting things, right? Perfection is something beyond or something outside of being human. Our humanness has all of these imperfections, and that's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes our experience so unique and so different from, let's say, the gods or the angels or the jinns or whatever it is. Like, it makes our experience that much more unique and it makes it that much more special. But in our relationships, it becomes difficult 
when we're not recognizing our drive for perfection and our addiction to that perfection. And it blocks us from recognizing our partner's humanity, accepting that humanity and, and holding and embracing it. Because that means in conversations where we're in disagreements, there are moments where their humanity is really showing and revealing itself to us. Like the part of them that has a hard time communicating, not because they don't want to, but because their humanity, part of their humanity is in the childhood experiences they've had. That makes it difficult for them to feel courageous or to feel safe or comfortable to say, I don't like that. I'm not okay with that. Or it would mean a lot to me if you did this. That part of them is a part of their humanity. And that part of them takes time. It takes patience. It takes, it takes a loving, safe connection and environment for them to really, really bring that part of themselves into the light and remind it that it's actually safe. So we can't see that part of the other person. We'll only see the part of them that is divorced from that. The part of them that's actually perfect. The part of them that's healed. The part of them that's their highest self, quote unquote, right? And we'll try to push them towards that. But in that process, we're actually traumatizing them again. And so most people actually try to do this with their partners, where they try to see their humanity, they try to recognize their humanity, and they bring compassion forward to those parts of themselves. But the difficulty in that is most people try to do this in relationships that actually aren't safe, loving, and respectful. So you can't actually try to see somebody else's humanity if they're not acknowledging yours. You can't try to have compassion towards somebody if that compassion towards them does not include yourself. So most people try to do this in abusive, toxic, and unhealthy relationships where it's like, oh my God, that's why he does that. Or, oh my God, that's why she does that. So childhood was so difficult. Or his mom really wasn't home as often as he needed her to be, right? So we try to zoom into their childhood experiences and really see the boy or the little girl inside and hold that part of them with care and love. And it actually doesn't lead to a stronger connection. It actually leads us to be depleted because the nature of the container, the nature of the environment is actually not conducive for that level of compassion, that level of self-abandonment. What I mean by self-abandonment is being able to zoom out of your own personal experience and try to put yourself in the other person's shoes and try to imagine what it's like to be them. That is actually reserved. That ability, that skill is actually reserved for a container that is actually very safe and loving. Because when you do that, you know that there's a part of yourself that's not going to come out of that experience feeling drained, feeling overwhelmed, feeling less loved, feeling more neglected, feeling betrayed on any level. So that part, we need to understand that once we have those relationships that are loving, that are connected, that are respectful, that are meaningful, 
we can actually start to bring this mode of thinking back into the environment, which is what I've noticed a lot of people struggle with. Because that's the trap is once you start to recognize that, whoa, you can have boundaries, you're not needy, you aren't high maintenance, that your boundaries are important and you can communicate those things to people. It becomes a trap in itself where we just keep creating more boundaries. We keep expressing how we're not okay with things. We keep expressing that this isn't working for me. I need something different. And in that process, we are denying the other person's humanity. We're denying the nonlinear nature of our relationships. We're denying the patience that the relationship takes to enter into a certain stage. When you meet somebody and you're in the relationship for six to seven months or even a year or two years, that process is a very gradual, slow and patient process. Because the things that you are both unlearning have been embedded and ingrained into you for 20 plus years. And then we get into relationships thinking that two years, three years is enough time to actually shed that level of programming. And that's why we need to give each other more grace in our relationships. That's what I mean, the self-improvement, self-development part really doesn't encourage us to do that because we can always see what needs to be done. We can always see the perfect part of the relationship that we can both strive for rather than just accepting where it's at right now and finding beauty in that. Like, wow, like we're, we're doing it. Like, damn, this is hard, but we're here. Like, I see you doing your best. I see you trying. I see you unlearning things that when I first met you were very hard for you. Like, I can see you. And it's in that acceptance that we actually arrive, quote unquote, at the place that we want to be. It's reversing the process because we need to recognize that what we call self-improvement is just a practice of pleasing others, trying to be accepted by others or trying to live up to someone else's expectation or fantasy of who we should be. Right. And that's what we call self improvement. But when those fears aren't there, when they're not plaguing our minds, what will we choose to do then? How would we act in our relationships? How would we live and how would we respond to our emotions? If we weren't tying our value to other people's ability or inability to see it. So we would probably be more accepting of ourselves. We'd probably be way more accepting of where we're at right now, like in our journeys. And that is what we're looking for. So we're actually craving through the channel of self-improvement, self-development and perfection. What we're trying to attain is acceptance, connection, rest even, right? Unconditional love and compassion. Because when you think of, oh my God, I've, I'm finally healed, or oh my God, I'm finally perfect, or I finally become my idealized self, what that means is now you can accept yourself. What that means is now you can fucking rest. What that means is you can stop trying to work all of the time on yourself. And what that means is you can now stop trying to get everyone to like you. So instead of trying to get there, by pushing and pushing and pushing and forcing ourselves to improve, 
why don't we just start accepting ourselves right now? Why don't we just start creating more room for rest and play and loving ourselves unconditionally? So the gift of that is also in our relationships. We don't actually try to, we don't have to try to wait till our partners become that perfect version of themselves, right? For us to accept them, to connect to them, to give them our unconditional love and forgiveness and compassion. We don't have to wait for that. We can start doing it now. And in that process, they actually become their best selves, right? Because we can only receive the best from others when we create an environment that feels safe enough for that person to finally become who they've always wanted to be. This is the thing. People want to be these versions of themselves. They just don't feel safe to do so. It's, it's a matter of safety and comfort. Because the only reason I wasn't doing what I'm doing now three years ago when I wanted to do it is because I didn't feel safe in the world to be myself. I didn't feel safe in the world to claim my power. I didn't feel safe in the world to claim my authenticity. But once I created that comfort and that safety within myself, there was nothing that could block me, that could stop me from doing the things that I wanted to do, from doing the things that lit up my soul. It's that piece right there that we need to recognize in our relationships is it's not going to be through motivation. It's not going to be through criticism. It's not going to be through feedback. It's not going to be through accountability that we get the other person to become who we want them to be or who we think is the best version of themselves, right? Or even with ourselves, it's not through accountability. It's not through discipline. It's not through, you know, screaming in our ears every morning in the mirror or at 5 a.m. to wake the fuck up, right? Those are pieces to it. But the real foundation that we need to stack these other things on top of is that acceptance, is that empathy, is that joy, is that play, is that compassion. And these are all feminine values, So coming back to the piece that I mentioned in the other episode, what is the sacred feminine? If you haven't listened, please tune in. But our world is deprived of these feminine values. In our relationship with ourselves and in our intimate relationship, the relationship itself becomes deprived of these values. Acceptance, connection, empathy, unconditional love, compassion, Our relationships become deprived of these values. We're so hyper-individualistic, but we're also hyper-masculine. One of the values of the masculine is individualism, right? Seeing myself as a part of the whole, not the whole, a part of the whole, a wave in the ocean. Seeing my uniqueness, my specialty, my genius that is different from the whole, that is different from the other parts, honoring and respecting that. That's that's the masculine, right? But when that is on hyperdrive, I forget my relationship to the whole. And so part of healing all of this for ourselves is by bringing back these feminine values, but also in a way healing our own mother wound. Because for me, The mother's love represents acceptance. The father's love represents guidance. So when we have a hard time accepting ourselves, that's a reflection of our own relationship to our mother wound. 
And so in healing that, we actually start to bring in more of that rest, more of that play, more of that, like, how can I just be with myself right now? Noticing that the emotions that come up inside you aren't there for you to try to find a way to get rid of them, right? Under the guise of somatic experiencing or under the guise of gratitude or under the guise of meditating or mindfulness, it's not there for you to do that. It's there for you to simply be with it, create a relationship with it. So the way I know for myself, I've accepted something, especially an emotion, especially a difficult emotion, is that I'm okay if this emotion never leaves me. I ask myself, if I were to feel this for the next 10 years, for the next 100 years, would I be okay with that? If the grief inside my heart, if the longing inside my soul, if the anger I feel towards this person or that person or the sadness in my heart, if it were to never go away, would I be okay? And the moment I arrive at a absolute yes, I know I've accepted whatever I'm feeling. I have no desire to transform it. I have no desire to alchemize it. My only desire is to create an environment in which that emotion can breathe, live, and express its truth and wisdom to me. So the thing about the relationship is that you're looking at these parts of yourself and telling them that your truth is sacred. No matter what you have to share with me, I'm available for it. I want to hear it. I want to hold space for your experience. And when you're holding space for something's experience, for someone's experience, you are not thinking about time. You are not thinking about how long will this go on for? When will this end? That is not a part of your, that is not a part of your thinking, right? You're just fully present with what's happening in your body. You're just fully present with what you're experiencing. And that's what we need to accompany this other part of ourselves that is very necessary, that wants to be disciplined, that wants to create new habits, that wants to evolve and you know grow in different ways. If we don't have this awareness in the background of our consciousness, it's going to be very difficult to arrive at a place right, that we've always wanted to be and actually find fulfillment and meaning there once we get there right? Because the whole time we try to force ourselves to be somewhere we weren't. So once we get to that place, once we attain it, it's not going to feel so fulfilling. It's not going to feel like what we thought or imagined it would be. And so the way we get there is by progressing through acceptance, not self-denial, not bypassing our difficult emotions that are coming up right now. So The other piece I wanted to talk about, the last piece I wanted to talk about is this death mother archetype that is actually coined by Marion Woodman. And she first started talking about this as the negative mother, and then she coined it as the death mother archetype. So archetypes are just these very primordial energies inside of the unconscious mind. So when you think of the lover, everyone 
can imagine an image of the lover, somebody that embodies that, right? When you think of the creator, the sage, the musician, the warrior, the hero, these are archetypes. And so what they mean is that these are symbols of an energy. So these symbols help us see and connect to the energy of what's happening within the unconscious. And these symbols, these archetypes actually motivate and influence our behaviors. So if I'm embodying the archetype of the lover, my behavior is going to be influenced by that archetype. If I'm embodying the energy or the, the, the archetype of the magician, my behavior, my mannerisms, my idiosyncrasies, my mindset is going to be influenced directly by that archetype. So when, you, when we're talking about the death mother archetype, it is what is known as nature's shadow. So nature is a conscious being. It's a conscious entity. And so when you understand that, you understand that nature isn't just a static body or, or, or land of dirt and mud and water and trees. It is a conscious entity. And so when you recognize it's a conscious entity, you also recognize that it also possesses a shadow. And so with that shadow, it's often referred to as the death mother. And this death mother is actually associated with the wife of the patriarchy. So patriarchy is also a shadow of what I feel is nature's beloved, nature's husband, because it's actually rooted in masculine principles, but it's just in a distorted form. It's in a shadow form. That's the thing about it. It's, it's shadow, hyper-masculine energy. It's, it's very shadow, right? So patriarchy is a shadow of some divine embodiment right, of masculinity, but it's a shadow. And so with that, these two energies plague the collective unconscious. So this death mother archetype, the reason it's as relevant to the conversation is because the death mother does not want to accept you, does not want to accept itself. What happens is that when it does not want to accept you, what, what that means is that it wants a part of you to die in order for it to accept you. That's why it's called the death mother archetype. This is different from Kalima. This is different from the dark mother. So let's not get this confused. This is, we're not talking about darkness. Darkness is primal. Darkness is beautiful. We're talking about shadow. There's a difference between shadow and there's a difference between darkness. I'm not talking about Mama Kali. That's a, that's a different energy. I'm talking about shadow, meaning that this wants a part of you to die in order for it to accept you. All of us have went through this experience. Most of us have went through this experience as children. A lot of our mothers were actually ruled by this archetype known as the death mother archetype. So this archetype probably drove our mothers to look at us and saw our difficult emotions and wanted those parts of us to essentially die off, right? So that they can love us, so that they can give us that loving acceptance, that unconditional compassion, that warmth and empathy. But they needed certain parts of us to die. Even when you think of you just being different from everyone in your family, maybe you were an artist and everyone else was, you know, rigid and businessmen. There's a part of that family unit 
that wanted that part of you to die so that they can finally accept you into the family. And this is why I'm saying this archetype actually plagues our collective unconscious is because when people are different, people are unique, people are embodying their own unique expression of divinity. We want those parts of them to disappear, to go away, to die off so that we can accept them, right? So this is this plagues our collective because different groups of people experience this kind of idea where it's like this part of you needs to die in order for me to accept you. And so the way that we actually start to free ourselves from it, because once we experience the death mother archetype from our own mothers, which most people have, we internalize that. So the death mother becomes a part of our own unconscious thinking to where when we have something that we're experiencing, we feel like it needs to die so that we can accept our reality, so that we can accept ourselves. And then sometimes we project this death mother outside and we look at our partners and we look at everyone around us and we say, oh my God, if they weren't like this, I would be able to love them. If they weren't like this, I would be able to accept them. If it weren't like this, I would be able to relate with them. So there's an absence of acceptance and there's an absence of recognizing the uniqueness in other people. Freeing ourselves from that is about what I mentioned earlier, by actually jumping towards what we're actually craving and longing for, which is that connection, which is that empathy, and which is that rest that comes from acceptance. And bringing that in now rather than waiting for it to happen once we become healed or once we become perfect. And so this is, I believe, is perfectly time for the winter and stuff because we need to recognize that when that new year hits, everybody goes into overdrive on the self-development, self-improving shit. It's like, oh my God, yeah, let me bust my butt. Let me start doing this. Let me start doing that. Let me, it's like, yo. Y'all got to remember, we're in the dead of winter. This is not spring. Like nature has intelligence and each season communicates a different set of lessons and it, it carries a different frequency of wisdom. And the stillness of winter has a very, it has a very different frequency from summer and spring. And this frequency or this medicine is about rest. It's about acceptance. It's about, it's about being with what's here. It's about accepting what's gone. Like accepting what has changed and what has already transformed. So we get into this trap. Once January 1st hits and it's like, oh yeah, now I can give myself the excuse to be more productive in the name of my new year, in the name of my 2023 mood board. But it's like, no, bro, that's fine. You can set those intentions, but damn, like, did you rest? Did you really honor all of those lessons? Did you really honor all of those experiences that you had? Are you really present with what's going on in your body? Have you taken the time to slow down and pause? Like, can you truly say that in this winter time? Yeah, I hope that anyone listening takes the time to really just marinate on that and not fall into the trap because it is a trap like january 1st is not a time people need to be trying to do new shit 
trying to pressure their bodies and force their bodies into becoming something that it's not right now. We need to get into the habit of honoring our body's wisdom and how that wisdom is perfectly in sync with nature's rhythms. Like the, when that winter hits, the body is naturally going to enter into a state where it wants more rest, where it has less energy. Just like all of the other animals do, where they begin to preserve and become conservative with how much of themselves they're putting out into the world or how much of themselves they're going out. If we can honor that intelligence and integrate it into our own experience and the way we relate to ourselves, I think we'll be a lot better off. And I think we'll find ourselves really doing what I think is the work, which is like embodying the love that you wish to receive from others. The love you probably wish to receive from others is accepting, it's compassionate, right? It's loving and it's forgiving. And so in this time, we're really called to do that with ourselves. With that said, thank you so much for joining me for this episode today. And I wish you all a happy holiday and a happy new year. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave me a review. Let me know how these episodes have been impacting you and wishing you a beautiful day and a beautiful evening. Peace. See you on the next one.